Yes, what an honor and a privilege. And uh, it felt kind of like last minute, but it feels so on purpose that Pastor Dave is with us today. So um, would you just welcome him as he comes? And uh, he could probably tell you more about what he's doing. And, and then. Well, praise God. I tell you, praise and worship doesn't get any better than that. I am telling you, I've been in the, been in the ministry over 30 years. It doesn't get any better than that. You are blessed. Amen. Blessed, blessed, blessed. I'm too blessed to be stressed. How about you? Amen. It's time that the body of Christ needs to be more blessed than stressed. Hallelujah. Well, it is really a blessing to be here with your pastors. I've known them for so long, and and uh, I have. I started back over 30 years ago a ministry called, <coughs> excuse me, called New Life Drama Company. It's a drama ministry for young adults that travel, travel the world and America, mostly through America, and, and uh, do services and dramas that I write and they write and we write together and uh, they do plays and it's been going for a long time and they were both in that ministry I believe they met in that ministry praise God almighty hallelujah I feel like a dad <laughs> and uh, you know so you know and uh, when when they left I cried because there's some people you just want around you all the time amen they have such a wonderful spirit amongst them and you're blessed to have them as your pastors Praise God. Uh, and so now, you know, in this, uh, you know, I've been pastoring, and uh, I pastored, I don't know if I know who Norval Hayes is, I pastored his church and ministry and ran his ministry and directed his Bible college and been on the mission field and taught in Bible schools in London and California and Cleveland, Tennessee and different places and uh, been, to, you know, uh, been on... It, nearly every shopping mall in America passed out tracks on every, almost every street in America, it seems like, in different cities around the world. Uh, you know, I've operated in the different five-fold ministry offices. Uh, you know, but this is a new day. And everything I did in the past doesn't matter. This is the new hour. This is the new time. And there is, a, there is another great revival coming into this world. And God wants us to be prepared. He told me last October, he said, it's time to pass all the drama company and all that over to the young men and time to go out and tell people about this next great revival that is coming and to get them prepared and get them ready because it's going to happen. Great revivals happen every 25 to 30, 40 years max. The last one was the great teaching revival of the 80s, late 70s and 80s, and Pastor Ken Hagen, uh, I don't know if you know who Kenneth Hagen is, but he was the one who kind of fathered that movement. But there was a man named William Branham in the, 19, who, in the 1940s and 50s, and he was a great healing revivalist. And he prophesied shortly before he died in the 1960s of a great teaching revival that was coming. And we know, just, I've just told you, that revival came in the late 70s and 80s. He prophesied what it would be. And then he said, but after that, there's coming the greatest revival of all time. That's this one. Now, we know he prophesied the 80s teaching revival six months before he passed away. He never saw it himself, but he prophesied it. 30 million some people were saved uh, during that revival. It affected nearly every denomination around the world. But he said, after that, there's coming such a wonderful revival that's like taking all the revivals put together and dropped on the church. He said, the miracles in the, will be so, so abundant 
that the news media will show up. You won't have to go buy time. They'll show up just to cover what's happening at your altar. Amen. I believe it. And I want to be part of it. Amen. I, want, I, want, I believe I want to be part of it. And it's going to be heralded by grace, the message of grace. That's how it's being heralded. That means that the truth is blowing and the message of grace is coming out. Now, it's not just going to be about grace. You have to understand that is the precursor because we've got to understand our salvation. We've got to know why we're saved and how we're saved and that it's total and complete. Now, there's a lot of who want to kick against it. Trust me, you don't want to spit into the wind. You don't want to tug on Superman's cape. You don't want to mess around with Jim. Uh, but I just hit some of you of my generation there. I'm just seeing who's laughing, who's with me. I got half the crowd. I'll get the rest of you later. So, but uh, but uh, you don't want to kick against it. You want to define it because that's what happened. The first the first winds of revival on the shore, the men and women who grab a hold of it, they're the ones who define it. They're the ones who say, this is what it's going to be. This is what it's not going to be. Because every type of spirit wants to come in and try to take over during a time of revival. They want to get you astray into their own trip. You know, they want you want to follow my trip, not that trip. And, and they want to move away. But so you're going to have to know. So you have to know. You have to define it. You have to know what it is. Study it. You have to, you have to get a hold of it and get it in your spirit. Because the next great move I call the age of revelation. It is a time when everybody will hear the voice of the Lord. That you will hear God clearly. That he'll not make it, he'll not make it odd. You, you, you'll be seeking him and you'll hear him. I know Lester Summerall, we asked about hearing God one day, if you remember who Lester Summerall is. He, he, said, he said, well, you'll know it right here in your belly. Well, he was talking about being led by the Spirit. You'll know about it in your spirit. You'll hear God's voice and he'll be clear. Now, some people have different hearing God's voice, but this next great move of God is going to be clearer and clearer and clearer. He's going to make sure that you know that he hear, that you hear him and he hears you. Amen? That he hears who you are and you know that you hear his voice. How wonderful is that and how do we know that's, that's, what, it's all, that's what it's been all about all along? As soon as you got born again, your spirit cried, Abba, Father. It cried out immediately. You are reconnected to the Father. In the last hour of time, the Bible says that in the end day, he'll, he'll restore the hearts of the fathers to the children. Well, maybe that's why I'm here. <laughs> Praise God. I've been a very good spiritual dad. I'll be better from this time on. Amen. But the thing is, is that your spirit cries out, Abba, Father. It's Daddy, Father. Abba being that which you call your daddy, which is which, which in, in Father, that which you call the creator of the universe, that which you cannot understand, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. Can't get it. Don't understand it. I don't even know why boats float, tell you the truth. I, I can't. <laughs> great big old tanker out there. I don't figure that out. Made of billions of tons of, of steel. Now, how does that float again? Someone tell me that. And how does that plane get up in the air? Don't quite got it. Can't quite get God's omnipresence either. But, but we know it's true. That's the Father that we reverentially fear and awe. But he's just not that. Unfortunately, that's what, that's what the religious spirit wants you to think he is, so that you have to listen to them, not him. The other part is daddy. The daddy that he sits you on his knee and he talks to you. And you know that he loves you uncompromisingly. 
He has. No, he doesn't want anything from you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to. You don't say, please, please love me. He loves you automatically, and that's why he died for you. Amen? So that's the kind of revelation. That's the kind of relationship we're coming into. And so be ready. Be ready for that. This is the next great move of God. It's getting ready to happen. The winds are on the shore. I've been prophesying it three or four, five, six years ago. It's coming. Now I sense the winds on the shore. I sense it's starting to move on shore. And God said, now it's time, Dave, for you to go out and travel the country. you got spiritual children everywhere. Time to go meet them again and talk to them and, and, and see how they're doing. And all the students you've raised up and all the churches that are around the country that you've helped plant, you need to go out and now get them ready for revival. Get them ready to be the ones who receive what God has, not the ones who kick against it. Some may not have me come back. Okay. That's just how it is. That's just how it is. But they must hear anyway. They must hear what God is wanting to do in this hour. So it's going to be heralded by grace. That's what people get all nervous about. I don't know. I don't know if I like that word, grace. I don't know if I like that. It means different things to me. Well, that's okay. Define what it means to you. Get in your spirit. Understand what it is. Study it. Amen? Get it down because you have to know why you're saved. Amen? My text this morning is going to be out of Luke 13. Amen. Luke 13. And I'm going to start in verse 22. And I'm going to try to hurry through today. I don't know how your timing is. I grew up under Norval Hayes and... At 2 in the afternoon, he's, off, he's starting, the next speaker is starting. So I won't keep you like that. I know you're those who are afraid. I won't keep you like that. I've pastored for years, so I know how, I know how you feel about those things. But are there, in, out of Luke 13, verse 22, And Jesus went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and shall not be able. But once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I don't know who you are. Then shall you begin to say, But we've eaten and drunk in your presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall tell you, I don't know who you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. And you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. And you shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. Amen? The question they asked him as they were traveling, and he's on his last evangelistic journey to Jerusalem. This is it. He's going back to pay the price for everybody. And they ask him, are there few that be saved? Now, I don't know about you, but I've asked that question a whole lot. On the way to church many times, you see a million people going every which way, and, and, you're, and you're striving to, to do what you do, and you wonder, Lord, are there just a few of us? And so they ask him that. We don't know who asked him that question. I believe it was probably one of his disciples. But he never answered the question, did he? You go, what? That's the answer? Help me again? Can I ask that? Should I ask that one more time? But uh, he did answer the question. He answered it differently. Because he makes some points, some doctrinal points that they needed to understand because he was going to save them all. So he gives them some doctrinal points that are viable and valuable to you and I and that we can get a good understanding of this. 
And if you're taking notes, he gives them five points. He tells them, there is a definite way to be saved. And we'll go over these points. Secondly, there is a time limit. Thirdly, knowing who Jesus is is not enough. Fourth, there is a time of judgment. And fifth, all people are equal before God. Got to hear an amen to that. All people are equal to God. The first point he said that there is a definite way to be saved. He said that you should strive to enter in at the straight gate. That there is a definite way. There's not more than one way. There's not two ways. There's not your way or my way. There's his way. There's one way. There's a definite way. And he says you need to strive at this. What that means is that means you need to prepare yourself like an athlete does for competition. You need to know why you're saved. And you need to know how that salvation is. And that it's saved by grace and not by works lest any man should boast. That it's a free gift to you. You need to understand that there's nothing you can do to earn it. That it's his way. And all you do is accept him. That it's totally free. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man shall see the Father but by me. No man shall see him but by me. That he is the only way. That he is that door. I remember, is it okay if I tell you a few testimonies as I preach? Is that okay? I remember one time passing out tracks in Oceanside, California. I don't know if you were out that way. And I was passing out tracks, and it was in the evening, and I was having a service next night in that town. I was passing out tracks, and I had a track to a guy, and he's a big, tall guy, Marine. He's probably a Marine from the base, I believe, from what's around there. I had a track, said, Jesus is the only way, and I just kept going. He goes, hey, wait a second, pal. Uh-huh. He says, what do you mean by telling me Jesus is the only way? He said, I didn't say that. I said, Jesus is the only way. He goes, yeah, yeah, that's right. What gives you the right to tell me that Jesus is the only way? I said, I didn't say that. He said, what did you say? I said, Jesus is the only way. He goes, that's right, pal. What gives you the right to tell me that? Tell you what. That Jesus is the only way. I didn't say that. I said, Jesus is the only way. He says, I can feel his fivefold ministry t- starting to develop. Anybody ever push someone's religious spirit till they want to hit you? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> they, get, they get so mad. They get so mad, you know, because they got that religion thing on them. You know, it's all over them. And it's crawling on them like bugs, you know, out of the mummy, you know. <laughs> you know? And, and I, said, I said, pal, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Now, if you have a fight, take it up with him. Because I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Jesus said, I am the only way, the truth, and the life, and no man shall see the Father but by me. I didn't say it. Now, you can call him a liar. That's all right by me. Are you going to accept what he said? He goes, oh. I just walked on. He walked on. Showed up the next night and got saved. Amen? Praise God Almighty. So, amen. Someone finally told him. Gave him the truth. Said it. And then it wasn't them. I wasn't trying to push my trip on them. I wasn't trying to push my deal. I'm trying to tell them what Jesus has to say. You know, sometimes all you got to do is tell them what Jesus said. I tell a lot of people, you're going to get born again in this hour. Please don't get born again from a preacher. Just get a red-letter Bible. Read all the red letters and let Jesus convince you of himself. Just read that. You'll be totally convinced that you'll have no religious spirit hanging on you. Amen? It won't be somebody trying to control you, someone trying to manipulate you, someone trying to get in your pocket. While you're trying to get into God's heart. Amen. You just, you, just want, you just want what God has. Amen. 
Good works can't get you to heaven. I wish it could. I've done lots of good works. I wished all the thousands and tracks. I mean, I guess our ministry's probably passed out over two million tracks over the over its lifetime. You know, I, I wish that could get me to heaven. It can't. The last person I'd won to the Lord can't get me to heaven. I get to heaven because I did nothing except Jesus. He says, you got to get this. you got to strive to understand this. Your salvation is not based on what you do, but what on Jesus did. Wow, talk about freedom. Talk about rest. When you get born again, you enter into rest. You don't have to strive to get rest. You enter into it. He says, it's time to cease from your works now. It's time just to relax, kick back, chill out. I'll take care of it from here. You're blessed. And that's why I can say, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Jesus takes care of it. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and they're, and they're asking him, are there a few to be saved? And he's saying, guys, you don't get this. You don't get this. I'm going to take care of the whole package for you. There's a definite way to be saved, and I am it. You've got to get it. You've got to understand it. Amen? Then he said, there is a time limit. There's a time limit to this. Some people will not get saved. That's how it is. We, we wish it wasn't the situation, but some won't go. There's an ending time. There's an ending time to this earth. There's an ending time to your life. I believe it was John Lennon who said Christianity will end, and, you know, and the Beatles are more popular than Jesus, and then he got shot six times. I guess he knows the difference. You know, I love John Lennon. <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, that's just how it is. You, you know, there's an ending time. There's an ending time to you and I. We don't know how that will be. We don't know how that will happen. But there is an ending time. There's an ending time to this earth. We can't say when Jesus is coming back. We don't know, but I know this next great revival is going to be marked by his grace and by his miraculous. Jesus said, he said to his disciples in Mark 16, he said, if they believe in me and are baptized, they shall be saved. If they don't believe in me, they will be damned. Now, I've preached people to hell for that for a long time. You know, I've sat in the streets, said turn and burn. I remember, I remember preaching in, in the streets of, in, uh, of Sterling, Scotland, and, and yelling, turn and burn, turn and burn, you know. And then uh, because I just believed, you know, hey, you know, if you don't like it, then, then you'll just go to hell then. That's okay by me. I mean, if you were my friend and I was God, you'd already been in hell. I probably already sent you there many times, you know, because I've judged so much in my life. And much of my preaching was judgment preaching, not not bringing people into the love and grace and mercy of God, but in turn around. And, you know, if you don't love Jesus, then I hate you. Amen. Who wants that time limit on their life? Amen. I don't want that time limit. You know, there, but there is a time limit. And God is, is reaching out. He's reaching out right now. His spirit's going to move out. He's going to reach out to you. He's going to call you himself. You're going to begin hearing his voice more clearly. And he is going to tell you what he wants you to do. God wants to be the one who directs your path. I remember one time I was on the way to do a crusade in some place, but I was, ended up in Mississippi or at that point and got out and got back in the car. And my key wouldn't turn the engine. just wouldn't work. You know, and I got to get there that night. I was a younger preacher, you know, and, you know, and crusades were important at that time in meetings. As you know, I was married and had kids. By the way, my son Jacob's back there. You'll see him at the T-shirt table somewhere, my youngest son. And uh, I had to pay bills. I needed to get there. You know, I mean, my mind was on different things. Ever been there? You've been there. You know, we've all been there. You know, you know gosh, I've got to get to work today. That's my work. You know, I've got to get there. And my key wouldn't start. And I've got to be there in three hours. And so I call a locksmith. I can't fix it. 
can't fix it. You'll have to, uh, you'll have to get it towed down to the forward place. Well, can they fix it? Oh, I'm sure they can. Get it to the forward place? They ca I can't fix it. We have to have the part. You're in Podunk, Mississippi. You'll have to wait till next week sometime to get the part. <laughs> but actually, they can get it the next day. And so I had to get a hotel, canceled the meeting on me, you know, because they put the other, they had another speaker back up. And so I'm thinking, oh, man. But God will direct your footsteps if he lets you. I mean, if, you, if you'll let him, he'll put you where you want to put, even if he's got to break down your car to do it. Because he'll know what you will say. He knows what you will say in any given situation. We asked T.L. Osborne. Anybody remember T.L.? Ask him, I said, T.L., how do you, how, what's the best way to evangelize? He said, well, Dave, just draw a circle around you. Imagine it's an imaginary circle. And wherever you go, no, don't forget about the king car, okay? You might have to remind me. Okay. He said, wherever you go, whoever comes in that circle, just tell them Jesus loves them. I mean, it revolutionized my whole evangelism program. Now when someone says, will you teach me evangelize? I'll say, yeah, what are you doing today? Well, I was planning to go to the laundry. Matt, well, let's go. We can go to, I was thinking about going to movies. Let's go. That's the evangelism program now. Let's go to the movies. Let's go to Walmart. Let's go to the mall. Let's walk around. And whoever comes inside your circle, say, Jesus loves you. You marked your territory. Jesus knows if you'll mark your territory. I was teaching in London at a, with a friend of mine, Robert Slaird, and I've been, uh, he's been like a little brother. And, uh, and I was, he is directing a Bible college in London. So I was there for seven weeks last year and teaching. And, and he, lived right, he lives right beside Hyde Park. He's written like 60 books. He's doing okay. You know, and, uh, and he's living right beside Hyde Park. And this whole little street down beside him, you know, is where you do all your shopping in a big city. You know, you have just your one street, and there might be a million of those in, in London. And so, but he had not marked his territory. So we go out. And he, what do you mean mark your territory, Dave? That sounds awful. I, it, it, he goes out. I, we go do the shopping. You know, you go get you go to the cheese shop to get cheese. The you know the bread shop to get bread. And with the dry cleaner and wherever we're at, I'll say this is uh, his name is you know Pastor William. I said this is Pastor William. I'm staying with him this week. You know, and they say, Oh, I didn't know you were a pastor. Marked his territory. Boom. Now when he goes in there. They know who he is. Sometimes you've got to mark your territory. God knows those who will allow him to use them to mark the territory for him. You haven't forgot about the key I had in the car. So there I'm sitting. I had to stay the night. I get up the next morning. I go into the Ford Motor Place, and I sit in that little room with the little white dirty chairs and plastic chairs and a little coffee pot that you go, I'm not sure if I want a cup, but I'm here for hours. Can I see an amen? Can I hear an amen that you've been there? You might run that shop. I'm sorry. But uh, <laughs> clean the coffee pot in the chair, please. <laughs> so I sit there, and I have a friend with me, someone traveling with me. And, and uh, a little old lady comes walking, sits down. And she starts, she starts, you know, I don't even, she shouldn't even be driving. You know, and she's sitting there, and, and, uh, and my friend starts a conversation with her because he's closer. And she's been going to a Baptist church for 30 years. Her husband had just been killed like six or seven months earlier in a car accident. And uh, she's still grieving. And finally the question came up, well, how long have you been saved? And she goes, oh, I'm not saved. I'm thinking, you sat in a Baptist church for 30 years and not got saved? Now, you are a hard nut. <laughs> you are hard to break. I'm thinking, that's one message they got. And they got it down pat. And if yours there and they know you're not saved, you're a fresh game. And she'd been there for 30 years and her husband was a deacon. 
I'm telling you, no, he must have prayed for her every week. He took her to church, and he died, and she hadn't gotten saved. And she goes, oh, I'm not saved. I guess that makes me a bad person, doesn't it? And my friend, who's sanguine and very nice, Vito goes, he's starting to go, oh, well. But me, who's choleric and not nice, I go, yes, ma'am, it makes you a bad person. Separated from God is Charles Manson. That got most of the crowd. Charles Manson got most of the crowd. I got to start thinking of some Japanese tune for the rest of you. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, talk to her then. And with tears coming down her face for the first time in her life, she accepted Jesus right there in that little, that little room. Someone had to get through to her. Someone had to be there that God knew that they could, that, that he could use their voice. Can God use your voice? Because there's time limit on people. There's time limit on them. There's some who are so wrapped in the spirit of religion that they, that they need freedom. Unless you go talk to them about how wonderful God's grace and mercy is, they'll not get it. Some are so steeped in the occult. Unless you're there and tell them how, how Jesus has overcome that, they're not going to get it. There is a time limit. He's saying you need to understand how you're saved, why you're saved, understand your salvation, and then recognize the time limit of this world. And of the people in it. But there is a time. There's a time for them. And you might be the person right there to tell them. Amen? He said in Luke 17, 30, that the final judgment, he will be revealed. And he states it's not going to be done quietly. It's going to be done like thunder and lightning. It's going to be out there. He says, he says in that same passage, to beware of false prophets during this hour. Some people think you're a false prophet if you talk about grace. What? That's all Paul talked about. He talked about grace. I had a good friend. He's passed on now. He was a Jewish lawyer who got born again. I hope I don't go down. I might be going way down there. I'm not sure. But I'm going to try to hurry this thing along. This is the first time he's met me. His name was Irv Goodman. He was a Jewish lawyer that got born again. And his ministry was to the New Age movement. We did, we hit rented town hall, you know, town hall in New York City. We rented that and did a big meeting for the New Age there and advertising all the New Age magazines. And we went to San Francisco to the Palace of Fine Arts and did a big New Age meeting there. And, and one-third of every crowd got born again. They didn't have to bow their heads. They didn't have to bring them up and let them cry. They didn't, you know, they didn't have to do anything. They just raised their hands and said, I get this now. I understand. All he did was tell the gospel of Jesus from Adam to the resurrection. That's all he did. And they got it, understood it, and got saved. They understood the good news of grace. He was getting ready to start a church in Jerusalem. We we're going to help him start a church there. He got over there, and he's teaching grace. And, and I won't say the names of these people because you might know them. Uh, but they pulled him into his office over there, and they're Christians. And they said, look, if you're going to teach this message of grace, we're going to ride you out of town. We're going to put you on a horse and ride you out of this town. He said it was like I was Paul coming in Jerusalem and teaching grace and finding the mixed message of the spirit of law and the spirit of grace there and no understanding and not wanting to understanding. He said they just didn't want it. Unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to because he passed away shortly after one of those, one of those visits. But there is a time, and there are going to be false prophets that arise. And you've got to be aware of them and listen clearly. If you don't know your salvation and how it's paid for or you're kicking against the, the freedom that's in it, Trust me, there'll be plenty there who'll want to chain your hands 
and bind you up and tell you exactly what you should do. The children of Israel, all they wanted God to do is tell us what to do. Tell us what we should do. Give us a law. Tell us what we should do. So he did. Before they were walking in the Abrahamic covenant and no one died. Now they, now they say, tell us what we should do. Give us orders. Give us instructions. He goes up the mountain, gets the law. First time down the hill, 3,000 people die. On the first day of the law, the letter killeth. The spirit giveth life. So when the Holy Ghost came, and they all got baptized in the Holy Ghost, how many people were saved? 3,000. It gives life. It gives freedom. Thank God I'm free. Thank God I'm at rest. If your salvation is not at rest, hello, get a new plan, Stan. Slip out the back, Jack. It's time, it's time to grab a hold of what God's doing now. I love my grandfather's old-time religion, but he's dead. He's gone. This is what God is saying now. He's saying, understand the thing from the foundation, which is I saved you by grace. Are you with me? Hallelujah. Jesus said his return would be no different than, you know, than, than, uh, than Noah and the great flood or the lot, and lot seeing people. Uh, you know, trying to warn them about it and them rejecting it. People may reject it because there's a time limit. But God is raising up in this hour a peculiar people. You have to get this. He is raising up peculiar people. Now that you look strange, whose sons and daughters will prophesy and allow the future to be discerned through the eyes of the Spirit of God. In Acts 2 17 and 18, it says, in the last days, everyone say last days, in the last days, in the last days, it says it right there, in the last days, I shall pour out my spirit on all people. Look at someone say, you're a people. You've got to get this. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, say women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. The key to prophesying is hearing. The key to religious spirit is not hearing and condemning. But the spirit of prophecy comes with you being able to hear the voice of the Lord and clearly. And that's why we're coming into an age of revelation. That's why God is going to make it easy. People are going to be jumping steps of their grandfathers and fathers and mothers and older brothers had to work through and try to figure it out. You're going to be jumping steps and God's going to say, do this. Buy this piece of property. Go here. Give there. Take back that. And you're going to hear it. You can move clearly. You can move forward. Right after Jesus said in Mark 16 that those will be saved and those who don't will be damned, what he's saying is that there's only the one way to be saved. If you don't accept salvation by me, then you are accepting salvation by the law, and there isn't any. For that, it's curse and damnation. Then right after that, he says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Whoa. We're not supposed to be casting devils out of the church. The church should be free. But they're the only ones that got devils. We're not, we're not, supposed, to be, we're not supposed to be healing on the sick in church. I will today. I'll be happy to. But we all should be free. We should be healed. These signs shall follow them that believe. 
In my name, they shall cast out devils. She lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. They can take up serpents. Well, what does that mean, Brother Dave? I never quite got that. I had to think, what can you show us? Say it real fast, and we get it, and we'll move on. Picking up snakes doesn't mean picking up serpents. It means that you can take on the kingdom of darkness. And Moses lifted the brazen serpent was in the wilderness. And, 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 and the snakes as the snakes were released on the people. Guess what they could go do now once they saw that? They got the spirit of Jesus. They got the spirit of grace. They could go pick up snakes and they could cast them away. Picking up snakes means you can take on the kingdom of darkness with no fear of being bitten by that evil thing. They shall drink any deadly thing shall not harm them. What does that mean, Pastor Dave? That means that you drink. That word drink means through the eyes and through the ears, not just through the mouth. Ever been going down the highway and see Cafe Risque or Adult Superstore or some weird thing or turn the television and, oh, my God, you know, that you drunk it in. You drank it in. You could drink any deadly thing and it shall not harm you. It does not have to take root in your human nature. Another day, another message. I'll teach you on the secret between your human nature and your divine nature and on that war that goes on and how you can be free. I'll teach that another time. But these signs shall follow them that believe. This is the body of Christ in this hour who's going to accept and understand their salvation, and then these signs will follow. Why aren't they following? Because we've been living a mixed message. We don't want everyone to be free. Well, I don't want that person to be free. They left the church. I want them to die and go to hell. I don't want that person free. He's bad. He's back drinking. Well, he deserves to die and go to hell. What? Aren't you even happier that they have grace when they're in trouble? <laughs> Aren't you even happier that they got mercy when they're in trouble? <laughs> well, you're ready. To, you're ready to. You're ready to put them in the coffin. But God, nowhere in the New Testament, lifts up a sin before His people and says, "Well, you know, I've been. You got saved, but I really am ready to send you to hell. I'll let you know right now." Because you've been a bad, bad person. Once you get over, once you get over this one big thing, well, there's two big things you got to get over, big things in this hour. But once you get over the first big thing, which is that you're not being rewarded for doing for doing good. That God's not loving you anymore because you paid tithes today from those who didn't pay a penny. Ooh, I don't like it. Don't preach that here. <laughs> we need their money. Now, that's the truth. Give because God told you to give. J.C. Penny, at the time of his died, he was giving 90% of his money. He kept moving it up. He didn't take it down. That God's not rewarding you anymore because you're doing good. You cannot earn his favor. You have all the favor you can get from him right now. There's no more you can get. Now what comes out of you? Good works. You've got it all now. You've got, you've got all the signs following you. And once you realize that he's not punishing you because you did bad. Because you, an, you have an advocate with the Father, with his Christ Jesus. Whoever makes intercession for you. What, his sacrifice wasn't strong enough? Tertullian had to deal with that problem. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers of our part of Christianity, our branch. He had to deal with that problem. They said, well, how many times should a person be, should they get saved? Because they were getting saved two or three or four times. He says, you only need it once. Why would you need another time? He said, well, maybe another time. He finally said, well, maybe another time because they didn't get it. I remember when I first got saved, I was going to church over in uh, someplace, Portsmouth, Ohio, over in that way. And... This guy told me, he said, I've had 500 people saved this year. Oh, gosh, I'm always getting ready to get these points. He said, I had 500 people get saved this year. And so I thought, man, this is a church I want to be part of. 500 people got saved. I got there, and four people got up that day and got saved. Oh, man, 504. Went back next week, you know, same four people got up, went back up, got saved again. 508 now. 
I'm thinking, this rate is going to be to 1,000 quick. <laughs> and the church is not going to grow any. What happened? They didn't understand their salvation. They didn't understand the time. Didn't understand that God loves them. And he's rewarding them because he loves them. He gives them everything that he has. Can I hear an amen? Thirdly, he said, not that I'm actually following my notes. Thirdly, he said, knowing who Jesus is is not enough. That knowing is very important in this hour because you have to understand this. I'm married. My wife knows me. Knowing in the Bible, we all know what that means. Even knowing in the Bible, it means that they've experienced each other. I know Obama. I know Sam. I know, I know uh, Bush. I know uh, uh, Gingrich. I've never met them. <laughs> I've never had any experience with them. But I know there's a difference between knowing Jesus and having experience with Jesus. Some people know who he is, but never once have experienced his wonderful saving power or his wonderful healing power or his wonderful delivering power. They don't really know him. They preach him, but maybe never knew him. And they said to him, but we've, we've, you've taught in our streets. And he said, but you didn't know me. What he's saying is, you never experienced me. You never touched me. You never understood who I was. You never heard my voice. You heard what I said, but you didn't hear me. A lot of marriages could be healed if we just understand that point. He says, knowing me is not enough. You've got to experience me. You've got to experience who I am. Because once you experience Christ, and you know what a wonderful salvation he has, you know how much he loves you, and how much he's not dangling you over, over a fear pit, but he's holding you up and, and, and trying to lift you up. And every time you fall over, he says, it's okay. I've already got that covered. My blood was enough. He says, let's stand back up and let's keep walking. Let's keep going towards the cross. Let's keep walking that way. Once you understand how wonderful it is, all you'll want to do is please him. Knowing him is vital. Knowing his character and his nature. Knowing what he would say in any given situation. Remember those old braces, what would Jesus do? Actually came from Charles Sheldon's book, you know, In His Steps. You know, I don't know if you ever made that connection. But, but uh, knowing what Jesus would do. What would Jesus do is saying, what would he do? That's, you know what he would do in any given situation. That's the type of experience that's what's called being led by the Spirit. What does the Spirit of God want you to do? Where is He taking you? What is He doing for you? Knowing Him. Being able to hear His voice clearly. When my mom and dad were a young couple, they were Jehovah Witness. I just got a couple more things. And if you want, I don't know how you do your end of your service here, but I do want to pray for you and do these things. You know, God works strong in words of knowledge with me and if there's anything that I can say to you that might encourage you, I'd love to do that. But they were Jehovah Witnesses when they were a young couple. And one of the things that Jehovah Witness doesn't believe in is a burning hell. They don't believe that. They, they don't see that. They don't believe it. And uh, so my dad and mom were good Jehovah Witnesses. And they went over to my grandmother's house, who is a Nazarene, who believes in a real good hot burning hell. And let's turn it up a few degrees where those we hate. 
They're not holy enough. They're going to turn it up just a little bit more. And so they got in a big argument. And my dad would say, there is no hell. My grandma said, there is a hell. You better believe it. My father said, there is no hell, no such thing. And my grandmother said, there is a hell. And back and forth they went. Until my father my grandmother had enough of my father's big mouth and said, you know what I have to say to you, John? He goes, what? Get the, you can put the word back in there, out of my house. So they had to leave. <coughs> Kicked out. My dad was in politics, so we got, you know, he, he, he didn't start a big fight where the police would come. So, so he got, they got in the car, put his kids in the back seat, and down the road they went. Mom, dad in the front, and just a few minutes later, they're going down the road, and there's little, another little old lady, a lot of little old ladies in my life, little old lady with her thumb out. And so my dad pulled over, and mom scooted in. She got in the front seat, and he said, well, hon, where would you like to go? She goes, oh, no place. You can let me off at the next block. He goes, the next block? She goes, yes, you see, I was in my house, and I was praying. And God told me to come out of my house, go stand by the street, stick my thumb out, get in the first car that would pick me up, and tell you there really is a burning hell. <laughs> I can't, first of all, imagine back in that day, in the 50s, anybody wanting to hear God that clearly. But every great revival is started by a group of people who will pray and allow God to talk to them. She knew who Jesus was. She experienced Jesus. So when God said, do this, she knew it was God. And that was the end of the Jehovah Witness days. She, she just got out. and My dad didn't say anything to her. She got out and walked the block back home. And that was it. She had changed culture in our family. When you know Jesus that much, you'll be able to start hearing. We hear such in part. And even when, when words of knowledge, I hear sometimes just in part. I remember one time I was praying for, for, for this man, and, I, and all I said was, you are, God told him to say, you're not guilty. He burst out crying. And, and he fell to the floor. And what had happened was, like six months earlier, he'd given the keys to the car to the teenage daughter, and a drunk had killed her, driven into her and killed her. And he's been holding that guilt the entire time. Sometimes it just takes one word to set them free. You're not guilty. I was going through Wendy's. The pastor take me through Wendy's in Jacksonville, Florida a few years ago. And I was walking through the Wendy's line, and it was real crowded at lunch. And I was thinking, I wish you would have taken me to Shoney's. But uh, <laughs> I got, finally got up to the front. And, you know, and, and as soon as I did, God said, this woman has a broken heart just been broken this morning. I look over at her and I look back at the line. It's a Walt Disney line, you know, behind me. And I said, uh, honey, I said, I'll have the, you know, the chicken sandwich and the frosting. God says he loves you and he's going to heal your broken heart. I wish you would. She burst out loud crying. Loud crying. Sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And I said, can I pray for you? She goes, please pray for me. And so I grabbed her hands and I was just praying, praying the healing of the broken heart over her. I looked back at the line and everybody in the store and even those sitting at the tables had their, had their heads down bowed. <laughs> I'm telling you, we think the world is not ready for God. It's because we don't mark our territory. Once we move out with the gifts and signs of God, God will show the world that he's real. They cared that someone was being helped. Yeah. Set you free.
preach freedom to you, knowing who Jesus is. And I give them strange words, too. I walked up to a lady in another church, and, 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 uh, and, and all I have is one word. I said, oh, honey, I'm Sarah. I only got one word. It, it's the word golf. You know, like putt, putt, golf. And, and she's a skeptic. She came up because she didn't believe anything I had to say about the gifts and signs of God. So she came up because everybody in that church, all 500 of them came up. And the pastor didn't help me pray. But, uh, <laughs> and so I'm laying hands on her. And I said, all I have is golf. You know, I wasn't even happy about it. You know, I'd rather have something deeper like, you know, like God told me to tell you that you are, you know, you are, you are, you are stealing money from your boss. You know, <laughs> I like to have something, you know, when you're praying, you get tired, you like to have something mean. But anyway, so. Maybe that'll just stop the rest of them from coming up. But uh, are you okay? Am I, are you okay with me? She burst out laughing because the day before she had bought a set of golf clubs that cost her a thousand bucks. She didn't tell her husband, brought him in the house, and hid him in her closet behind some clothing. No one knew they were there except her. She thought, but no, I now knew they were there. And now her husband knew that they were there. <laughs> Sometimes he'll take the cat out of the bag. Sometimes he'll just convince you that he's real. God will trust, trust me, will convince he's real. If you go out and you lay hands on somebody, he'll convince you that they're real. Lastly, he's, oh, there's two more points. <laughs> we'll just go to the, we'll just go, we'll go to one point. We'll just, the last point is all equal before God. You're all equal. And then the, the the point four is, there is a time of judgment. There is coming a time of judgment. And it should rule us, understanding that there is a time of judgment. It is true. The people got to know who they are. Oh, Lord, they got to know who Jesus is and how wonderful he is. There is a time of judgment coming. And God wants to rescue all he can through you. It doesn't have to be of any urgency. I told you my evangelism program. Just pretend there's a circle around you, tell you Jesus loves you. If he gives you a word of knowledge, get it. If he gives you a word of wisdom, get it. If you don't understand these things, get in Scripture and understand it. But if he gives you something, tell it. It's all, it'll, it'll always be with love or be with, uh, with, the, with the purpose of getting to the place where they can be loved. But there is a time of judgment. There is an urgency there. He's on his way to Jerusalem to save everybody to avoid the time of judgment for everyone where the great sheep and goats are divided. One last testimony. Well, I have a lot of testimonies. We'll just give you one more. I was on my way through Kentucky, my wife and I. I grew up in the hills of Kentucky. I know I don't sound like it, but I did. And I grew up in the, in the northeastern hills of Kentucky. And I hadn't been there in a number of years. And I wanted to go by and see my Uncle Forrest. Uncle Forrest was an alcoholic for like 30 years, you know, at least, you know, before I showed up that day. And uh, I want to go see him. He was my dad's youngest brother, so he was closer to the kids, our kids' age, you know. My dad was one of the older sons in the family of 13. And uh, so I stopped by his house, and they're all carpenters, bricklayers, farm boys, all real buff, real strong, you know. And he's sitting there withering away in his chair. And I go, Forrest, what's wrong with you? He's, and he said, well, there's something wrong with the arteries in my legs, and the bottom of my feet are rotting off. He said, and uh, 
Yeah, I can get around a little bit, but I haven't been able to work, haven't been able to do anything, and, you know, so I just sit here. He was sitting there half tanked. And so I talked to him about Jesus for a little bit, but he wasn't really, he never been saved, you know. And Mark, I grew up, when I, when I left home at 13 and lived with my grandfather, uh, lived with my grandfather uh, in Kentucky, our grandfather taught us, if you don't fight, you kill. You don't, you, if you're getting a fight, kill. You know, I got bruises and scars because of his bad counsel. But, uh, but, uh, but you, you fight, you fight to kill. You don't ever tell you're sorry to anybody. And Forrest had never, ever in his whole life told he was sorry to anybody. Ever. And so nothing happened. But then I said, you know, the Bible says that I as a believer can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It doesn't say saved sick. You see, that is one of our weapons for the world. That's why we should all understand it and embrace it. So I got, I, he wasn't running anywhere, obviously, with rotten feet. So I got on my hands and knees, and I grabbed, my, grabbed his legs. I know there's a sense of humor and everything serious with me. You just have to accept it. I am, I am comedy and tragedy at the same time. <laughs> you will not end on a serious note unless it hits your heart, and you're crying so hard I can't make fun of your tears. But, uh, but I got my hands I got my hands on his legs, and I pray for him. I wish a bolt of lightning would happen, but it didn't happen. And so, so I left, and, I left and uh, about a month later, I was talking to my mom, and she goes, well, have you heard about your Uncle Forrest? I go, no, no, I haven't heard about Uncle Forrest. She goes, well, when you were there, I said, when I was there, nobody knows I was there. I was on a trip, and I stopped in for 15, 20 minutes and left. She goes, everybody knows you were there. You see, he was sitting there. They had told him they were going to cut his legs off next week to save his life. He was sitting there that Saturday contemplating going down Monday to the People's Bank there, trying to rob it and be shot so he could die with his boots on, so to speak. But then I showed up, my wife. And then we left and he didn't pick up another beer. And then he went to bed and he realized his entire life he'd never told anybody he was sorry for anything. Never. Not his wife, not his children, not his friends, nobody. Those words never came out of his mouth in, the, what, in, the, in, in his adult life or his, as far as he can remember. He got up the next day, and this is so important. He remembered an invitation to church that he had gotten 20 years earlier. When you invite someone to church, my brother and sister, that seed never dies. It never died. It came back to him. He goes, well, I wonder if that good old boy is going to church. I think I'll go to church this morning. So he got up and he went to church. And it was a Baptist church, about 13 people. He sat in the back. Well, hello. Everybody talked about Baptist churches. Here's fresh game. The message was really centered on him, but he didn't hear a word he had to say. Now, here's an old drunkard man sitting in the back, not hearing a word the preacher has to say, and God gives him a vision. And he sees himself walking into a big black pit. And he thought he was dying right then. He has no, nothing to compass it or figure, or to figure out what's happening. He heard moaning and screaming and crying cover him to this pit. And he was halfway up to his waist going into it. And he said, God, I deserve to go to hell. He said, but my children don't. I never told them a word about you. I've never said anything to them. If you'll give me time just to tell them about you, I will. 
and then you can take me. I deserve to be punished. He came out of the vision. There's an altar call going on. He come up to the front, and he knelt down, and you know what he said. All he said was, I am sorry. And when he did, he said a bolt of lightning, it felt like, hit the top of his head. It went through his body. It went down his legs and out the bottom of his feet. And the next time he took his shoes off, there was new skin on the bottom of his feet. Whoa. Hallelujah. That church went from 13 to about 200 in about three months. It went from Baptist to Charismatic Baptist. Or well, like we fondly call Bapticostal. He started calling his friends, his old friends stopped answering the phones because he'd call them every day, every Sunday and go pick them up, bring them to church. All his kids got saved. His grandchildren got saved. Then he said, he says, I'd like to do more. He said, so, he, so I gave him a van. I said, well, let me give you a van. I gave him a van. He started going through all the hollers, hollows for those that are not country, all the hollers and picking up children and bringing them to church. Then he started reaching their families. Then he says, I'd like to do more. So I, bought, I, I, I paid for a building across the street from the church and filled it with food and clothing so he could give free food and clothing out to any who would come in. And it only took, really, just one visit where all I did was pray the sign that God sent you power. There is no power in my hands. There's no power in us as human beings. It's all in Christ. We were looking through pictures at Oral Roberts' house one day in California, but back then. And we were looking at pictures, and he was signing some, and and he said, I had to stop all that. I said, what? He said, laying hands on people. He said, uh, they come looking for my hand instead of God. They want, Oral Roberts would just touch them. And they come looking for the hand. And this next great move of God, there'll be so many people operating in the miraculous. If you get the message I told you this morning, and you move forward with it, and you listen to God, there'll be so many of you moving in the miraculous, not here, out there. You'll be laying hands on the sick. You'll be praying. You'll be praying for those who need help. You'll be telling people that Jesus loves them. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be rotten. You can be nice and you can be soft. You can be as soft and as quiet as a lamb. Even a soft word in Christ has a louder echo than the loudest thing the devil has to yell at your brain. <laughs> Amen. Praise God Almighty. Our God is a good God. He is not a bad God. He doesn't wish that anyone should perish. If you're not saved here today, get saved. I don't want you to come up here and cry and have to, have to walk you through a bunch of tears. It's re rejoice and go, I got it. Yes, that's true. I accept it. I'm saved. That's all it takes. You don't have to cry over the last beer you had. When I got saved, oh, Lord, I got to finish, but this is it. I know it's late. When I got saved, I was still, thank God no one got me saved. I got saved because I asked God to save me. I was still smoking pot and drinking, smoking three packs of cigarettes a day and drinking, uh, drinking champagne. I had champagne on my budget. I love champagne. Give me Dom Pignon. Give, give me, give me, give me Moe, Brut, please. I have two. Thank you. Electric bill, let him turn off the lights. I got pot and champagne and Jesus. 
I would have been sent straight to hell by the local, local church. One day he came to me and he said, you know what, Brother Dave? And I go, yes, God. He goes, something doesn't please me. That's how he talked to me. You know, he'd talk to you like, you know, change something, however he talks to you. He said, something doesn't please me. I said, what? He goes, no cigarette smoking. I said, okay. I'm glad to hear that. That's all? Yes, that's all. All right, we can deal with that. <laughs> I put three packs of cigarettes down a day. That's what's called deliverance. When you hear the voice of the Lord, he'll set you free without you having to struggle with the devil. And I went on. A few months later, he came to me and goes, something doesn't please me. I go, yes, God, what is it? That champagne. Is that all? Yes, it is. Oh, it's getting like pie. <laughs> Happy time in worship tonight. You got to tell me this worship would be a lot better. Hi. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. I shouldn't have said that. Strike that from the tape. Erase it. Don't let anybody hear that. I put down champagne. I said like $100 more a week. Wow. <laughs> and uh, then it was like months later. And I was already, you know, not really wanting it at that point, the marijuana. I didn't really want it. I was so so stoked on God. It wasn't anything that he really did. I just didn't want it. I was high on the Holy Ghost now. Thank God religion didn't get a hold of me. I wouldn't be preaching today. Thank God God got a hold of me. And he said, that smoking marijuana doesn't please me for you. Now, that was important for you. Because that means if he tells you smoking pot doesn't please me, he may not have told her that. So if you set free, I told you word of knowledge works real strong with me. Sometimes it's dangerous. Take off the glass beads, honey. <laughs> Get rid of the string art. We're going minimalist. <laughs> but he may not tell her that yet. We want to say he told me, so now everybody has to obey it. God knows how to free you one step at a time. If you got a religious spirit, if you don't like what I said, well, that's because you're stupid. And you just got to let it go. Well, how about my son? I've been trying to get him off alcohol. He's an alcoholic. Tell him you love him, that Jesus will set him free. Get him directed at the cross. You cannot wiggle it out of him. Even if he tells you he stopped smoking, he's leaving and going with his friends and smoking. You've got to focus towards the cross, let them hear God, and God himself will deliver them. That's how it works. Our God's sacrifice is big enough. Now, if someone needs deliverance because they're possessed, that's a different world. If they want to come up because they know they want to stop and God's told them to stop and they're oppressed or obsessed, all the obsessed words. <laughs> I don't know them all. I used to know all of them. You know, you can lay hands on them and, and agree in prayer that God delivers them and sets them free and helps their flesh. That's human nature. I don't have time to talk to you about today. Another day I'll talk to you about human nature. It's important and vital for this hour. Amen.
But you understand that that's what Adam and Eve took on. That's why you're born in sin. They took on human nature when they, re, when they disobeyed God. And that's why, how is that? It's a bad deal. Why am I born in sin for again? You know, because of Adam? Well, because he, I'm human. They took on human nature, and they left divine nature in the garden. Amen? Are you blessed? I know I kept you a little long. Uh, one time I was heading over his, I was pastoring his church, and he came to preach, and 3 o'clock he was done. And he said, well, Brother Dave, he said, sometimes you just got to test your crowd. Well, you've been tested, and you've all passed. Amen? God is a good God. If I said something that offended you, I'm choleric, I'm sorry, or choleric, or type B, or whatever you call it. I'm sorry, I didn't really want to offend you. I know you want to probably leave the church now. <laughs> Pastor William loves you, and Pastor Christine loves you, and all the praise and worship team needs you to sing.